Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the uh, music, the singing, the joy of being all together this Sunday morning, this summer celebration. As we come now to your word, we pray that joy would continue and grow. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see what it means for us as your people to build up in love. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and find a Bible or turn to the passage we're looking at, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Now, this is a family gathering, and so I may interweave into the sermon a couple of family stories. My family's with me as your family is with you. If you're, uh, if you're married, you have children, and if you're single, this is your family right here, the church. I could tell stories about my children who are here present, but they would afterwards come and speak to me about those stories, so I'll tell a story about the one who's not here. And uh, he's a three-year-old. His name's Elijah. And I was talking to Elijah the other day, and I said to him, Elijah, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, he's three. Interested what he would say. And he looked to me and said, I want to be daddy. I wish I had a recording, you know, (laughs) for when he was 16, perhaps, to play. Um, And so I said, oh, okay, yeah. but, But, you know, tell me, what would you... What do you want to be when you grow up? He, he thought, he said, I want to be a cowboy. <laughs> so here's a cowboy story, because I love cowboys. Story is told of a cowboy coming to town with a six gun. He's a dead shot, and he goes into the saloon. He fires at everyone's toes, and they jump up and down. As he fires, he says, ever danced? And they dance. And this goes on for a little while until a rather older Cowboy, who become a farmer by now, walks into the same saloon, and the cowboy says to him, ever danced? And he fires at his feet, and the farmer dances away. Now, once the cowboy had finished his fun, the farmer walks out to his donkey that had brought him into town, and on the side of his donkey, the farmer had stowed a double-barreled shotgun which he calmly pulls out and walks back into the saloon and points it at the cowboy and says, ever kissed a donkey? (laughs) And the cowboy says, no, but I've always wanted to. (laughs) I've always wanted to preach at Edmund Chapel. I actually did some research into this chapel, which is named after the great president of Wheaton College. His last sermon, uh, you can listen to it online afterwards, Um, his last sermon was at this chapel preaching on the glory of the King Jesus and coming into his presence. And some of you will know this, but in the middle of that sermon, he went to meet his Lord. It's an amazing, glorious sermon, an amazing moment. One of Edmund's most famous sayings, I've been told, was this. 
Never doubt in the dark what you have seen in the light. Now this morning as we look at these verses in the book of Ephesians and the next half an hour or so as we study them together, I want to show you the light of his word, the light that is a lamp to your feet, so that whatever dark days you are going through now or will in the future, it will shine light. We are a family together. This is a passage about unity. Whatever you're going through, you have brothers, you have sisters, you have a family. We are going to do this together. You are not alone. Ephesus was the uh, beachhead of the gospel into Asia. You can read about this in the book of Acts. And this letter, most scholars think, was written as a kind of circular letter to go to Ephesus, but a bit like an email that you would sort of CC other uh, people as well, was also sent to the surrounding towns which were influenced out of Ephesus by the gospel. When Paul was teaching there, the gospel spread. You can read about the seven letters in Revelation 2. Its companion letter is Colossians. There's a lot of overlap in tone and message. While Colossians was written to address a particular problem, though, Ephesians is much more general in message and majestic in tone. It was Actually, this letter to the Ephesians was John Calvin's favorite letter. It is beautiful, profound, stunning, extraordinary. And in this chapter 4, we now begin to come to the application section of the letter. The first three chapters, Paul has been talking about the mystery of the gospel that was entrusted to him, this mystery. Christ came, he died, he rose again, and in Christ there's one body, Jews and Gentiles, all races of the world. What is the one great hope for unity in our world today? With all the different traumas and trials which we are facing as a society and as a globe, you read the same news reports that I read. What is the one great hope? It is the mystery of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a visual image of that unity that Christ can bring as we worship him as Lord. And as we come to this chapter 4, the passage we're considering, it's obviously all about the practicalities of that unity, its application. But it's not a static unity. This passage is answering the question, how is it that a community can both be loving and happy and together as one, but also growing and dynamic and vibrant How do you do that? And throughout this passage, there's a picture. So what I want you to have in your minds, our minds are often visual. And so there's a lot of words that I'm going to use and some clear structure I'm going to give you. But I want you to have in your minds a mental picture of a body. That's one image. And Paul collides that image with the other prominent image in his letter. Right here in Ephesians 4, body and building. And the image is how the body builds. Think of a human body growing or building or developing. How does that happen in church? 
How can church be a community of love and also a dynamic, growing organism building up in love? How does that happen? The passage is structured around two congregational-level practical instructions, one in verse 1 of the passage and the other in verse 15. And in the middle is a doctrinal affirmation and vision of the work of the gospel that develops these two practical-level instructions so that, as Paul says, every part of the body doing its work so the body builds and grows itself and love as we all fulfill the functions that we've been given. So the doctrinal vision gospel part in the middle of the passage centers on this idea of the unity that we already have as Christians in Christ. He says there is one body, one faith, one spirit, as we were called to one hope. All this unity is already there. We have it in him. And yet, though it is there, we also need to work hard to develop it and maintain it and grow it. We have it, but then also verse 13, we have this vision of how one day we will attain the unity that we have. So we're one in Christ, and then we also have to fight for that unity. You know, I was once in a situation where as a pastor, I was trying to get a couple of people to reconcile. Been going on for some time, and I tried every, everything I could think of. And frankly, I'd almost given up. I thought I could just never manage to figure out how to get these two people to get along together. And as I was thinking about this, this is a different church. There's a person there, an older woman in the church. Aren't older people such a blessing to a church, by the way? Older woman to a ch- in the church who came after she'd been traveling, and she asked to see me. She came into the office, and she sat down, and she said this, Josh, one thing I've learned in life is you have to fight for unity. Well, Paul puts it like this, eager to maintain. Yeah, we have this unity, but we have a vision to attain it more and more. So there's this doctrinal vision, part of the central aspect of this passage that is about this oneness that we have, that we can grow more and more into. And also in this central part is this, in this passage is this vision of Christ's victory. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So he, this vision that's like a military campaign that Jesus had won, there's a triumphant parade afterwards. And he passes out the spoils of war. He's won. He, he died. He rose again. He ascended on high. And like a victor, there's a triumph, triumphant parade. And he throws out these gifts. And each of these gifts here, unlike the gifts listed elsewhere in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians, for instance, each of the ones here is actually a word gift. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are all word gifts here. Let me put it like this. My job as your pastor is to teach the word to you 
to equip you for ministry. Well, let me say this. I am not the minister. You are the ministers. I am an equipper. There's actually a worship folder that I heard about one time that listed all the different pastors and staff and their various job descriptions. And at the bottom it put, ministers, colon, the entire congregation. Well, that's biblical. Give you God's word, the gospel, so that then you, all of us, go out together to do the work of the gospel, and then the body grows and develops as each part does its work. See, this is, this is the very, what we're about here at College Church is the very opposite of consumer Christianity. We come to be fed, of course, from God's Word, but then we go out to do God's work. The church gathers, of course, to be fed from God's Word, but then it scatters to do God's work, and that's how the body grows. We center around the Word, and therefore we grow in unity and maturity. We're equipped to go out and do God's work. And then there are many other gifts apart from speaking gifts, administration, encouragement, the list goes on and on. Each is equally important, and each needs to do its work. And as the Word is taught, we gather around that Word, then the body is increasingly united, it grows in maturity, and therefore we all go out and do, its, do our work together, fulfilling our different functions. So that's the central aspect then, the central proposition in the middle of this passage is this doctrine vision of the unity we have. It's like a body growing in maturity and impact as the Word is taught. We put it like this as a church, the God-centered gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed in us as a church and through us to the world by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are two instructions for us all, congregational level instructions that are at the beginning, at the top and the tail, the beginning and end of the passage. They are verse 1. Can you see it? Paul says, walk in a manner Worthy of the calling. Verse 1. Then verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. Or in summary, simply walk and talk. So walk. Look at verse 1. Hear how Paul puts it. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul actually picks up on this image of the body walking several times in Ephesians. Verse 17, if you've got a Bible open, look at that. If not, I'll just read it for us. Verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Chapter 5, verse 1, 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So here's the image, the picture of the body walking, and of course that means our lifestyle. How do we act? What do we do? How do we behave? How do we interact with those around us and with each other? What I want to say to you this morning is College Church, make it your ambition to walk in love with each other. Bear with each other in love. You know, the world around is desperately looking for a community that truly loves. Now, you and I, we, we, we both know there are big moral issues in our day. We could list all of them. We could talk about them. Sometimes we must do, we have done, and we will do again. But here in this passage, and listening to the Apostle Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, can you see Paul appealing in chains? What is on the Apostle Paul's mind as he's there in prison? It's the unity of the body of Christ. What worthy of the calling you've received. What does that mean? Well, the calling you've received, that is the humility of Christ. The gentleness of Christ the self-sacrifice of Christ, the love of Christ, bearing with each other in love is the summary statement for all these characteristics. You say, well, what does does that mean? What does it it mean to bear with someone in love? Well, let let me put it like this. Sometimes you'll be working with someone or you'll be doing something in church with someone and there will be a gap. You know, there'll be an expectation and that expectation is not met and there's a gap. So someone is late for a meeting, 10, 15 minutes late, and there's a gap. You could insert into that gap, you know, um, they don't care about me. They're disorganized. They don't value this time together. You could insert that into the gap, or you could do what Paul says and carry, bridge, bear that gap. You could insert in it love. Love covers over a multitude of sins. You bear with each other in love. Let me give you a couple of practical illustrations. I've been married now for, um, well, I I guess I should know how long. Um, (laughs) See now, we got married in 1990. I better get this right. (laughs) Eight. And um, uh, Rochelle's very different from me. Those of you who got to know her a little bit, she's a very different kind of person to me, much more detail-orientated, much more practical, a little less intellectual, heady, dreamy, absent-minded professor type, you know. And um, so, you know, you're getting to know each other. We're different. We see life differently. A few things in our first year of marriage were quite interesting. One, one was like this. I, it was about, it was in the afternoon. I said to Rochelle, you know, I, I've got a little bit of research I've got to do for a sermon or talk, so I'm going to, uh, can I borrow your bike? It was, a, it, it was in the town where everyone cycled, and she had a bicycle, and it was pretty much not a great bicycle. And anyway, I borrowed her bike. I'm going to cycle to the library, 
and I'll just be over there for a couple minutes and come back. And, you know, and so dinner's around five, six, or whatever it was then. And, you know, I'm not there. And the hours go by, and it's late, and I come back. I come back. I don't know when. The library's open pretty late then. I come back after hours. She thought I died. But, you know, I found a good book. <laughs> I just, what, what do you mean? I just, I just read it. It was a great book. I, could have, I thought I came back soon. <laughs> I could have been there till the next day, you know, easily. There was another instance like that in our early years of marriage. I'm, I like to work hard. I always have. So I would get up at 6 in the morning and work till midnight as a single person. You know, you're single, you've got time. It's work. And uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to get married, and so I, I need to scale that back. I thought to myself about that and decided I work still early in the morning, and instead of working till midnight, I work till 11 o'clock. <laughs> Rochelle had to bear with me in love. I learned a lot. There'll be things, there'll be issues right now of people in this room. You've just got to bear with each other in love. You won't see the things exactly the same way. Only God has the perfect perspective. Walk in love. Second talk. Look how Paul puts it in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Literally, Paul's saying here, truthing in love. Say talk is a memorable heading, walk and talk, but it literally is truthing in love. So we mustn't make the mistake that our culture is making today, which is that love is in opposite tension to truth. You cannot have convictions today and be thought of as a man of compassion. It's a category error. I was fascinated to discover that um, a comedian he was talking about this uh, on an internet blog. An in- a comedian has determined not ever, never to go to university campuses to give his comedy show because he says they're so politically correct he cannot say anything. Now, maybe there are some things he should not be saying. But today, we find we cannot truth in love. In Paul's mind, the two can and should go together. There's only one hope for the unity that we need in the world, and that is the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to get this right in our culture today. When we think of unity, when we think of community, you know what we think of? We think of You know, hi, everyone, I'm Olaf, and I like warm hugs. (laughs) We've got to understand that unity, true unity, can only happen as we gather around truth. Otherwise, we're just going to have temporary 
uniformity, fashioned after the technique of the Tower of Babel, but that kind of uniformity cannot be long-lasting, for it can only be maintained by authoritarian techniques of dictatorship, for it's not really around truth. We live in a time, the speaking the truth in love, we live in a time where there's a desperate need for the church of Jesus Christ to take on the mantle of the body of Christ that we are and build and grow, why? To impact the Muslim community around us. To impact those around us who reject Christ because They so often simply misunderstand Christ to impact the world. You say, well, how's that going to happen? Where are the resources for all that? Who's going to do it? Have I got news for you? It's you. Paul is talking to the congregation. This is organic, relational, deliberate us. To impact this world, to change the world, the church is God's means for doing that, I believe. I'm a pastor. I'm giving my life to the church because I believe the church is God's means for impacting the world. How is it going to happen? It's going to happen as all of us catch a vision for our part, doing our bit, which means all of us speaking the truth in love. We need to walk worthy of the calling, walk, but also talk, truthing in love. And so our core vision, we are, we are proclaimers of the gospel. At home, we grab the Bible and read it to each other. Someone is in crisis. Who's going to fix that? Let's call up the pastor of congregational life. He's only two and a half thousand people. He can do it. We are proclaimers of the gospel. We go to them. We encourage them. We lift them up. There's a non-Christian we know who needs speaking the truth to. What are we going to do? Call out the pastor of outreach. You know, he can do it. Who's going to do it? Have I got news for you? It's probably going to be you or no one. See, I, I just don't know what to say. I say, start with that. Learn. Go to those summer forums. Get into those small groups. Grab an older Christian who's been... T- There's so many... There are people in this congregation who are not only been to seminary, but are teaching at seminary. Go find them. Learn from them. I like the story of um, the man who didn't believe in the truth of God, and he was going for a walk thinking about this. He was going out into the woods, and he was out west somewhere, and he suddenly came across a grizzly bear The bear took one look at this man who didn't believe in God and began to run after him. And the man who didn't believe in God began to run in the opposite direction as fast as he could. But as fast as he ran, it wasn't fast enough. And so he got to a clearing. He turned around and looked at the bear. And the bear looked at him and raised up one big paw to swipe him. And this man suddenly in desperation says, Oh, God! The whole wood freezes. And light dazzles on the man. And uh, the voice from heaven says, you know, what, what, 
what do you want me to do? I mean, you know, you, you don't even believe in me. And the, and the man says, well, yeah, okay, but will you at least make the bear a Christian? And so the light that's shining on the man who doesn't believe in God sort of moves across and dazzles on the bear and then stops and the wood returns to its normal ambience. And the bear, raised up on one leg of one paw, now joins the other paw together and then intones for what we are about to receive. <laughs> May the Lord make us truly thankful. <laughs> I know faith, belief in God is a complicated thing. I know there are many philosophical and theological arguments about the scriptures, about epistemology and anthropology and sociology and any other ology you would like to mention. But the truth, let me speak the truth in love. The truth is, one day there was someone standing behind this pulpit talking about this stuff and died. You could die actually while I am speaking to you. Pascal, Blaise Pascal, has a bad reputation for what's called Pascal's wager, a divine wager, at least bank on what's going to happen after you die, even if you don't know what it is, and it's frequently criticized today, but at very least it puts front and center the truth that is not pie in the sky, but could be in a few minutes. Don't you at least want to figure out whether this God, not any kind of minor pagan deity, but this God whose calling is worth following, humble and gentle, whether this God is real. That's truthing and love. It's speaking God's word, studying the Bible together. Me, us all, going out as proclaimers of the gospel. Look at it like this. If God took a few fishermen and used them to turn the world upside down, just think what he could do with us. However weak we may feel. I've been told that some of D.L. Moody's early handwritten letters show that he was barely literate, could not spell, and this was someone that God used to turn the world upside down, but you've got to open your mouth and declare his praises. Building each other in love. Let, let me put it like this. We think of unity and growing in unity. You don't have to like everyone at church. You've just got to love them. How? You focus 
on the calling that you have received. Walk in love. Talk the truth in love. And so build up in love. Let us pray. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Our Lord, would you help us to hear the passion in Paul's heart as he writes this? As a prisoner, I urge you with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Would you give us that eagerness to follow Jesus' pattern? And so walk in love so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine as we center around God's Word and grow in maturity and understanding and grasp of the truth. Lord, then, would you help us each part as we're joined and held together, this body put together by your Spirit through the work of Christ, growing and building. Now each part speaking the truth in love. Would you give us confidence, Lord, of the truth of the Bible? We pray for those who don't yet know you here this morning that they would bow their knee. We pray for those who are struggling this morning that they would reach out to the body here gathered for help. We pray, Lord, that you would, as we gather together around your word give us joy give us hope for the whole purpose of the gospel that though once we were lost in darkest night yet now hallelujah for all we have is Christ for in his name we pray amen